Our reading tonight is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Good evening. Good evening. It is a good evening. Hello. Um, Dave got to share about his gift thing. I'm going to tell you a story about my best gift ever. Uh, my name's Josh, by the way. Um, my best gift ever was when I was little, my grandparents got me this bongo drum where when you play, it was electric, and when you played different parts of it, it played like a cool rhythm. So you'd like hit one quadrant and be like, boom, 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 and you hit another bit, like, and it sounded amazing. And obviously, like, um, so I obviously thought I was mint at the drums, and uh, like any noisy toy, my parents took the batteries out. So the, the gift went from being the best to the worst because I thought I went from being like the best drummer ever to then when I hit it, it didn't make a sound. And I went f from being really good to really bad. So it's a really sad story, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm, my name's Josh, and this, this, part of the <laughs> this part of the service is all about... Um, we, we unpack the passage that we've just read together. <laughs> and uh, to start us off, why don't you do me a favor, give me 60 seconds, turn to somebody next to you and ask them the question, what is faith and how does it change us? Okay, go. Excellent, thank you. Two, uh, two quite small questions to cover in 60 seconds. I'm sure that you got to, to really delve in deep there. I'm going to speak about faith this evening. I'm going to talk from this passage that Paul's written and speak about faith. In this letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul is still in what's regarded as the reconciliation portion of his letter to the community that he started in Corinth. Reconciliation is needed. As some of his previous teachings in 1 Corinthians were rejected, people were questioning whether Paul was a credible leader or teacher. However, reconcilia reconciliation took place on a painful visit that we hear uh, to the community, and now Paul writes to wrong some of the ideas about faith in Jesus the people were having. Our passage details one of the glorious consequences of believing and trusting in the seen yet now unseen Jesus. That one day, when our mortal coil, our earthly tent, as he calls it in verse 1, 
perishes, we will then have heavenly bodies that will never fade. The same kind of tent that God met Moses in, no less. That phrase, that phraseology, that picture of our bodies as a tent, the same, the same word there in the Greek is coming from the same Hebrew to describe the tent that, met, that God met Moses in in the Old Testament, which means basically Paul is saying that we can still know God and meet God within this tent, this mortal shell today, but it will one day decay. In its place, though, we are promised a new heavenly dwelling, a resurrection body. Paul tells us in verse 7, it is by faith, not by sight, that we live now, expecting the goodness of God and his promises, even when we can't see them now. Faith in Jesus changes us. So that's our passage. And in today's, last week's, and next week's passages, Paul touches on what it means to have that faith in Jesus. Hebrews tells us that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So what does it mean to place our confidence, hope, and assurance in Jesus? Is faith just blind, misguided, uninformed wishing? Or is it something far more beautiful? Paul, the author of this passage, is detailing one of the eternal outcomes of faith in Jesus. New life in new bodies, eternal and made whole. Heavenly looking and without without fragile flimsiness. A strong building, not a flapping tent. But what is faith? Faith is a noun. Something which holds life's greatest forces in tension without breaking a sweat. It is both divine and very human. Natural and unnatural. Visceral and mysterious. Totally mundane yet utterly extraordinary. Strangers and the afflicted were healed by Jesus because of their faith. Jesus himself tells us that faith, even as insignificant and small as a mustard seed, can still move mountains the oldest standing giants of our natural world. We are designed as a species to have faith, to know that what is unseen can often be more significant than what is seen. It is innate to feel this. Love, excitement, patience. These are all hopefully daily emotions for us that prove it. And yet to believe in the unseen, unseen can seem illogical or absurd to the onlooker. Our culture has been shaped by humans who hungered for purpose and meaning beyond what surrounds their presence, an insatiable appetite that has produced innovation, creation, and progression. We're going to go back to the 15th century, where a German goldsmith by the name of Johann Gutenberg hoped for a world where one day you could use a machine to affordably and rapidly print books and documents, and therefore spread information and increase the ability to read the world over. His vision for what was unseen gave us the printing press. Widely regarded as one of the most significant inventions in human history, giving way to the Renaissance period and beginning the mass information revolution, which arguably continues to this day. Next, we're going to move to the 1700s, where Ludwig van Beethoven was born in Germany. He was a highly regarded composer and pianist. He was able to create and compose some of the most beautiful and influential music the world had ever heard and possibly would ever hear. By the time he was in his 40s, however, he was completely deaf. 
Yet his ability to see what was unseen, or rather hear what he couldn't hear, led to him composing pieces such as his famous Ninth Symphony, which includes the well-known adaptation of Frederick Scheller's poem, Ode to Joy. He had been completely deaf for over a decade by the time he put that piece together. His faith was heralded as pure brilliance. Or lastly, we're going to go to the 1950s in San Francisco where a young tech entrepreneur was born called Steve Jobs. And he began an advertising campaign with his startup company titled Think Different. And with it, envisioned a world where you could listen to your favorite music, read your emails, text your friends, and call the office, all on one personal device you could carry in your pocket. His vision became the iPhone. He had faith in the not yet and pursued it, and in turn was hailed a genius. You see, to have faith in the unknown, the unseen, the unformed, forms the basis of what it means to be truly human. Still to this day, believe to achieve, don't find a job, create a job, manifest your own destiny. Yet at the same time, to have true, unshakable faith in a constant and living God goes against the grain of our culture today. Suddenly, it is us who are the James Dean red leather rebels from Rebel Without a Cause, except our cause is Christ. We sit at the heart of this cultural moment and its core values of looking beyond the now, yet we are marked as the counterculture because we give our lives to a king who is alive and breathing and a kingdom that is growing here and now. Well, I say, give me that red leather jacket. Because I'd rather go against the grain and find all that was originally intended for me than waste away in obscurity, exhausted, lonely, stressed out, and discontent. Give me faith in Jesus. However, as so many of us may know, it's not actually all roses having faith in Jesus. I still get knocked about by the waves of life or the waves of my own doing. And as the message translation puts Paul's words in Romans 8, when you go against the grain, you're going to get splinters. So what does faith in Jesus look like? Faith in Jesus can look the same as the life of Jesus. It looks like love and sacrifice. To have faith in Jesus is to know the unstoppable love of God the Father as he gave up everything he had, including his Son, to forgive us for we know not what we do in order to save us from permanent death and instead raising us a new creation, a new life, starting today and ending never. This new heavenly building we will inherit is just one example of our new lives. Faith in Jesus is to know that love today and believe that it won't be gone tomorrow. But this faith hurts too. There's sacrifice. I'm not talking about the costly narrow road to righteousness where the decisions of how we live must reflect the life of the one we have faith in. That's important. That's how we practice our faith. But rather, I'm talking about the cost of choosing faith when the lights go out. As Stephen Colbert recently put it on his talk show, Chatting to Dua Lipa, the tiny daily deaths that we experience. Those daily deaths for me can come in the form of choosing faith in Jesus in my grief or my loneliness 
my temptation or my fear, my heartache or my doubt? What do your daily deaths look like? And just like a day in the Highlands when we can have all seasons of weather in 24 hours, sometimes we have days in our lives when we have all seasons bash against us. I call those days tiring ones. When the storms of life rage, do I still trust there is one who will carry me through? Or as Corrie ten Boom put it, when a train goes into a tunnel and everything goes dark, do I trust the driver? What we choose to put our trust in in those moments reveals to us where our faith lies. When my friend drowned in a river when we were teenagers, I had to decide what I believed in. Could I still choose to believe in the goodness of God as I mourned Lawrence's death? When I was 19 and another friend of mine threw himself off a bridge and none of us knew why, is it still God's desire that none shall perish? Or facing the reality of too many years of heavy partying and all that went with it, and trust me, there's so much that goes with it. Could I still trust that God could ever make something out of all of this and turn all things for my good? And that even last year, when a plan for my vocational life was nicely coming together, then suddenly took a U-turn and left me totally unsure of what's next, even to this day, can I still put my faith in the one who guides my paths and makes plans for me to prosper me? Is God still driving this train? I wonder what circumstances come to your mind that have led you to ask that very same question. Maybe you're in the middle of something right now and you're asking, God, are you still driving this train? You see, these promises and truths about God, I've just countered these experiences with. I found them in Scripture, in the Bible. And when I take the steps in the name of my faith in Jesus to trust in them, that capacity to trust and know him now embeds itself deeper right at the heart of me. It forms me. Martin Luther King said, Faith is taking the first step when you don't see the full staircase. Now this is a man of real faith. When his assassination seemed imminent with bomb threats, mob violence, and a recent stabbing due to his advocacy of civil rights in 1960s America, Martin Luther King still stood in front of audiences proclaiming he had a glimpse of paradise over the mountaintop, and he wasn't scared. His faith in the unseen was unshakable. He was ready to die if he had to. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He did die for what he had faith in. That's a man whose faith in the love and sacrifice of Jesus formed his own life to become marked by love and by sacrifice. He had eternal perspective. He knew the consequence of his faith would lead to life in all its fullness, now and for eternity. Life in a new heavenly home, just as Paul says in our passage. Whatever sacrifice he would have to make for his faith paled in comparison to that of the Father, whose own son had to die on the cross so that we could live his risen life. I can't comprehend that level of sacrifice. 
I was moved deeply this week by the story of the poor family who live in Morocco who today will be mourning the death of their little five-year-old boy, Rayan, who was tragically pronounced dead yesterday after a failed rescue attempt from falling down a well. I can't imagine the pain of losing a child. I can't begin to relate or pretend to understand or even compare. Please, if you know that pain closely, I'm trying to tread delicately. The sadness I feel at such a distance gives me barely a glimpse at what my father went through to save me. But I do feel something. I wonder that if the tears of those parents mirror the tears of my heavenly father as he too lost his son, not in a terrible accident, but in fact had to watch him die at the hands of our sin, my sin. That sacrifice is the ultimate expression of love that I cannot fathom or get my head around. I must never dilute the sacrifice that God had to make on my behalf. You must never dilute the sacrifice that God had to make on your behalf. To lose something so precious to him in order to gain me, to gain you. My iniquity and my selfishness, my pursuit of temporary power, pleasure and prosperity, my idolatry and worship of status or success or reputation, all my other sins that I don't care to admit to you so publicly, but there are so many, all made his son's death necessary in the eyes of the Father, the heavenly, loving and devoted Father, in order for me to know freedom from his pursuits and these decaying, infectious riches. As the hymn resounds, Riches I need not, nor people's empty praise. You are my inheritance now and always. Now death is not the final word because of the resurrection, and right now I have the richest of riches, and that is freedom. To have faith is to receive freedom through love and sacrifice. And as I know his love and love others and remember his sacrifice and make sacrifices in my life, I am actually living like Jesus. I'm imitating him. I'm following him. I start to look like him. And as Paul says here, I get to one day receive a new heavenly home, a new body with him. A body that won't decay and fade, but is eternal and has made in heaven, stamped on it. So, if faith is belief in the unseen, if faith in Jesus looks like love and sacrifice, if the consequences of faith in Jesus is new life and new heavenly buildings to live in, what does faith produce. Faith produces purpose. Much like our innovators aforementioned or countless others, belief in what we can't yet see moves us into action. Faith moves us into action. Paul tells us here in verse 9, That faith in Jesus moves us to desiring a life pursuant and worthy of God's pleasure in this life or in eternity. So I want us this week to think about praying, serving, 
and giving. It might start here today, and in many ways it should, but we only encourage you to do it here so that you will go out there and do it. Pray in these walls for what God is doing. Pray big prayers and little ones. Pray outside these walls and see what he is doing, great and small. Serve within these walls and co-labor in his mission, no matter how impressive or messy the task. Serve outside these walls and watch his kingdom come to every corner of society. Give until it hurts so that these walls stand tall and shelter all who come within. Give generously out there and bear witness to the transformation of our culture. Much like our resurrection heavenly bodies, it starts here, but it never ends. In short, faith in Jesus moves us to love how he loves, live how he lives, and give how he gives. Every day devoted, loyal, hungry to bless his plans and know him. Faith in Jesus produces our life's purpose. To worship none other than him with the whole of our lives. So that as verse 10 says, when we stand before the one who judges, not by counting sins or making record of wrongs, but by his ministry of reconciliation, we can stand firm, knowing that when we too caught a glimpse over the mountaintop, we chose to live a life declaring, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And that's my prayer for me and for us. You may never have made a decision to put your faith in Jesus. You may have made it hundreds of times, countless numbers of times. But trust me, when you put your faith in Jesus, it changes you. It moves you to action. My prayer for us is that we would stand tall, no matter how tall the waves crashing against our boats, no matter how much water starts to pour in, we would stand tall and say, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. So that's my prayer for us this evening. Why don't you bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. In verse 5 of our passage, it says that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of the faith that we have in Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit for this faith. We do not conjure it up ourselves. You give it to us as a gift. And I ask for each and every one of us, whether it's new, brand new for the first time, or it's old, Bury deep with us a faith in Jesus that cannot be moved, cannot be shaken. God, may we be a people in our time, in 2022, no matter the waves, no matter the storms, no matter the weather, we'd be a people who would stand firm and tall, declaring, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us perspective. We pray all these things in the name of your mighty, wonderful, beautiful, and kind Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.